Hello, everybody. Welcome. Today is Tuesday, March 9th, 2021. You are joined by myself and my brother, myself being Stone Samurai, a.k.a. Hirsch, and my brother being Steve, a.k.a. Stu. Stu, how are you doing tonight, man? Hey, Hirsch, man. How's it going? Sorry, it's been a little bit. Oh, no, it's fine. Hey, you know what? Honestly, um, we needed a little bit of a break just because there there's so much that's uh, that's going on right now um, in the world, in personal life. So it in, in that regard, it's all good. Um, plus, uh, you know, you're a dad. So, you know, it's it's tough to to get the time in. So I completely understand. Um, well, I appreciate the understanding. Yeah, of course. Um, and everybody who has been listening so far, I do greatly appreciate it. Um, altogether for the Gladio episodes, we have over a hundred, hundred fifty listens, which is phenomenal. That's um, awesome. Yeah, I you know for the the episodes that we were doing, I was hoping to get anywhere between forty to seventy listens um, altogether for all the episodes, and we surpassed that. So in my eyes, uh, that's a win. Um, so thank you to everyone who's been a part of that. Um, this episode, we are going to quickly just kind of recap um, exactly what was Operation Gladio um, and some of the some of the happenings that lead up to what I'm going to be talking about today a little bit more prominently, which is the money connection and how things kind of uh, got greased up, if you will. Um, but on that note, I'm going to hand it over to my brother, who will kind of give us a little bit of a recap and refresh exactly what Operation Gladio was and its importance today. Well, uh, thanks again, Hirsch, and uh, thanks to everybody who's been listening along. Like uh, Hirsch said, we really do appreciate it, and uh, we would just be talking into the void if it wasn't for everybody actually out there giving this a chance. And talking in the void is okay, but it's no fun sometimes. No. No, we do that yeah, enough. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, we just wanted to do this as a final wrap-up, kind of move away from Gladio, even though we think it's going to help frame a little bit of our understanding about future episodes and future topics that we're going to be going at in the future. But mainly I wanted to also give Hirsch a chance to talk about a lot of the research that he did, because I feel like especially that last episode, I kind of talked the entire last half because I was trying to get through the Moro kidnapping and a lot of their stuff that, that we had and there just wasn't enough time because we do have technical restraints where we only have two hours an episode. So when you start to hear us about a minute, like an hour 40, sound like we're talking a lot faster and maybe skipping over some things that maybe gives you a little bit of an explanation why. But yeah, today we wanted to at least reset a little bit really quickly. And then I was going to ask Hirsch a couple of questions about his research and let him talk for a little bit before we got to a conclusion on Gladio and everything we've done the last couple episodes. So Gladio itself, again, was an operation from the at least the 50s until 1990 when it was exposed in Italy. It was a originally a code name for the clandestine stay-behind operations of armed resistance that was formed by the Western Union and subsequently by NATO that included secret branches of government, whether that was the intelligence services like the CIA or their Italian, French, British counterparts, what have you. And eventually it went beyond stay behind operations and became involved in a lot of other stuff, including what is known as the strategy of tension, uh, false flag operations, the 
terrorism, bombing, kidnappings in Italy. And then the original episode that we did focused on the Brabant killings where we believe that's actually part of either a NATO stay behind operation that went bad or it was some guys who at least were connected to it. <clears throat> but as far as one of the sources that we had looked into the last couple episodes was the documentary by Alan Frankovich, who is a, a filmmaker who lived from 1941 to 97. He had a number of films actually that were critical of the CIA, linking them to terrorism in the Cold War in Africa, South America, and of course Europe that we saw in the Gladio documentary from 1992. But a lot of my research was also based on Daniel Genser, a Swiss author and historian, who has written a lot about NATO's secret armies and what are seen as conspiracy theories by a lot of people, but obviously there's a lot of document, documented, ah, documentation that does prove it goes beyond just conspiracy. But I, beyond those sources, I wanted to give Hirsch a chance to talk about what he was able to find, which had a lot more to do with the connection between Gladio, the Italian mob, and the American mob, and the Catholic Church. And so, again, Hirsch, what was the, the name of that gentleman who was one of your major sources? Um, Paul F. Williams was uh, one of one of my go-to sur- uh, main sources of uh, things to research, for sure. Okay, and he he started off as U.S. intelligence, right? Yeah, he was um, he was U.S. intelligence, and basically, his role in the intelligence community was uh, kind of in I guess, I guess you could say the marketing aspect, but it's really like the the media and uh, journalism relations because that's eventually what he became. Um, Propaganda in his quote. Yeah, and that that's what he became in his quote civilian life is uh, is a journalist. Um, he he's an interesting person just because he has the the ties in with the government and with uh the shadow networks that that operate within our government and not only that he was um an stout religious person like religion was a very important thing to him so it was just really interesting getting my information from the very the very same mold that they probably would have wanted as an operative you know 30, 40 some years ago at that time when he had, when he had come out with this information. Well, and he was a true believer in all senses, right? Like that's part of that religious aspect of it too. Yeah. He, he drank the Kool-Aid and he definitely, he definitely bought into the system for a long time. Yeah, And so I did end up watching that, that interview with him that I talked about uh, where he was talking about Gladio a little bit in his book. But he also ended up tying it into the modern situation with ISIS, ISIL, whatever whatever you want to call it, and then Al-Qaeda and other stuff going on in Syria, Iraq, and elsewhere in the Middle East. And so I I think that when we get to our discussion later, we can talk a little bit more about that, like how Gladio frames things, whether it's for the recent past or or now. But um, what what was his initial draw to Gladio? Like what what caught his attention? Was, Was he involved with it on a professional basis? And then he saw the the dark side of it or was it something he found on his own while working uh, behind the scenes? Um, well, from my understanding of it, it was something that he had kind of started discovering. Uh, it, it's basically, you can equate it to like going down the YouTube rabbit hole, right? Like he started off studying one thing. Um, I, I can't remember the particular subject now, just cause it had been a while since I, since I had watched uh, the video on it. 
Um, but he was working on something and he started coming across a lot of these links between um, established crime figures and um, high ranking politicians and uh, bankers and financiers and things of that nature. And that's where the, um, I guess you could say the gasket blew. Um, and he, he went down that rabbit hole and started finding all of these, uh, all of these links and establishments and connections, um, not just between the Vatican and the mafia, but also, um, the Vatican and the Nazi movement that was happening in Germany during the, uh, thirties and in the forties and when it came to its prominence under uh under Hitler. Okay. Well and I imagine, you know, we come at it from this perspective of, you know, from the left where all this stuff opened our opens our eyes in a different way. You know, we're we're expecting the worst from the state from from especially the secret intelligence community and and anything having to do with international, you know, armies, you know, known or unknown. But I imagine from his perspective, this was heartbreaking in a way, too, to see how undemocratic it was, to see what was actually happening, to see who was getting paid under the table for these things to happen, all in the name of keeping the status quo. Um, I imagine that would have been eye-opening from that perspective for different reasons. Oh, it definitely was. Um, you know, at, at the end of it, it's kind of it's kind of like the old saying, right? Nobody likes to see the sausage made, mm-hmm. right? Nobody ever wants to know how it gets made. And he found out how the sausage is made. And he even talks about in uh, in the book that I referenced for a lot of my research, um, how it rocked his core beliefs, how it um, tarnished his view, not only on the United States and its role um, internationally, but also the Vatican Church. Um, as I had mentioned, he was, he was a devout uh, Catholic. He, you know, did his communion. He was part of all these services, like he did all these things. And it was something that completely broke him um, almost in a way. Like, I don't know if you could even notice it, like in that interview, Steve, that you had mentioned to me, because I'd watched a little bit of that after you mentioned it. Um, But he just looked like somebody who was like a a fraction of himself. It's kind of like when you go into like the local uh, watering spot, right? And you see that guy sitting at the bar, just staring down at his fucking whiskey glass. Um thinking of all the things that he fucked up and all the things, you know what I mean? Like that's just kind of the, uh, the vibe that I get from him uh, coming from this book and just from that interview. Okay. See that that's interesting that, that you mentioned that the vibe you picked up because the vibe I picked up is he reminded me of a, uh, of a teacher I had back in college that had cancer and that used to be a lot more of a, had a larger frame, you know, was a lot more vibrant, but it had worn down on him throughout the years. I don't know. It yeah. was similar, but, but you know, different. So I did get a, I did get somewhat of a similar vibe that he had been kind of eaten away, you know, by the, by this, uh, by this knowledge. That was the vibe I picked up anyway. So I do know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so he ends up looking into the financial aspect on overturning these rocks where he finds the, the mob, the Catholic church, U S intelligence community service using the American mob kind of as a, a go between. Correct. Yeah, he he basically is able to uh, connect all the dots just based off of um, a lot of the uh, American connections here in the mafia. And there was um, a few operations that the U.S. military, as well as um, intelligence services, uh, had enacted during World War II 
and uh, post-World War II that allowed him to see the uh, nexus, not just between the Vatican and the mafia, but also between um, the mafia and U.S. intelligence and U.S. military operations. Okay, and you had mentioned a couple of the gentlemen before that that kind of led this operation, whether whether they're connected to the CIA or the State Department or other U.S. intelligence agencies. Do you mind uh, refreshing me on on a couple of those gentlemen? Um, so the important names to to look at when it comes to the connections between the Vatican, the CIA, and the mafia, um, obviously Pope Paul the Sixth, because that was you know the person who was kind of like in charge at the time. Um, you have yeah. Michelle, Michelle Sandona, who was um, an Italian banker. He was a P2 member. He was often referred to as the shark, just to give you an idea of what kind of scumbag he was. Um, yeah. And it was one of those things that, especially at this point in time over in Italy, you have to understand, like, the mafia had complete control. And that's kind of how Mussolini was able to rise to power because he was able to use um, – nationalistic uh, populist rhetoric um, to gain uh, society's uh, approval um, and, and remove some of these uh, Sicilian mobsters that had gained um, kind of like a chokehold on, on power over there. Um, another important name, um, Alan Dallas, who was basically um, the main orchestrator of a lot of this. He was the main guy, him along with Jesus Angleton, um, were the ones who kind of orchestrated everything and they brought in who uh, somebody who is the most important when it comes to the money connections, which is Wild Bill Donovan. Um, that right there, I left his name last just because he, to me, after all the research I've done, is the guy that is, he was the catalyst that was needed um, to get to where Gladio uh, needed to get to just because he had the established connection um, with Wall Street, with I, with all the Ivy League lawyers and, and financiers. Um, and because of his time that he had spent as a uh, chief intel analyst over, um, over in China, and while he was watching, um, I believe it's the KMP, which was the uh, National Army at the time, um, when he was watching... Yeah, that was Chiang Kai... Chiang Kai-shek and those guys. Chiang Kai-shek, exactly. Um, mm -hmm. And he had he had watched them basically use the opium trade to fund their army and fight against communists and rebel forces over there. So he was like the main. He he was like the Geppetto, uh, I guess you could say, when it came to the money money part of it. So how how close was he with Angleton? Um, him and Angleton were relatively close. I can go double check on my notes, but I know for sure. Um, or at least they worked in similar ways, I imagine, huh? Yeah. Angleton was more close with Alan Dallas, who was um, one of one of the high ranking CIA operatives and became kind of like, I guess you could say, second in command when they transitioned. Um, yeah, Alan I mean, Dallas, and his brother, John, is a big state department guy like that's dulles airport and stuff like that that's named after his brother yes yeah so these are these are guys that have been established in american politics and in the international community for a long time um yeah and these are and all that, blue blood guys like you mentioned ivy league schools like you know they, they all these connections go back not only politically but socially 100 mm -hmm. it's definitely a class type thing you start realizing the uh the correlations between it 
Um, Absolutely. And so they, they have a they have class interest and, and social interest even beyond just the politics. Like you may have Democrats, you may have Republicans, you may have liberals, you may have conservatives, you know, relative to one thing or another. Whether you want to get specific about that, I, I, you know, I'm, that's not my point, but they have a they have a common goal because of these class and social interest. No, 100 percent. Just making sure I'm not coming at it from a different, because, you know, that that's kind of what we talked about in those episodes, too, you know, is that Cold War consensus where you have you have the liberal and conservative handshake, basically, that that communism and the left must be stopped at any at any and every opportunity. And so that feeds right into all this, like you said, leading up from the into the 30s, supporting fascists before it goes too far and then eventually using those fascists in in cover up operations to then fight the communists again after. Correct. And, and just, uh, and, and just to answer you a little bit more, cause I was able to, to get to the page of my notes and sorry, it takes me a second. I, I li- oh, literally had like 30 some pages of notes guys. So if you hear me shuffling paper, I apologize. Um, <clears throat> um, so basically the, the connection that they needed with, um, Wild Bill Donovan, um, it mainly came through, uh, Dallas, I pronounced it Dallas, so again, I'm sorry. Um, but Dallas had a very long established connection with some Italian aristocrats, one of which was um, somebody who eventually was named as uh, American Chamber of Commerce to Italy. And they were the owner of the Milan branch cash register, right? And that was a bank that was tied in exclusively to, uh, to the Vatican, um, and to the Holy See, which is basically like, um, I guess you could say the uh, the corporate corporate side of of the Vatican, maybe. I, I, I well, the Holy See is just kind of the what they call like the operation around the Pope. It's it's yeah. the it's the it, body it, of the Vatican. It's it's everybody around him, including the Pope, who who does like papal business essentially. No, and, and that's why I try to draw the correlation is it's kind of seen as the, the corporate side of it just because it's like the uh, – It's the bureaucracy. Yeah, for sure. Um, so that, that was the established connection that they for sure needed. And, um, and, and just because it was – we have to keep in mind, right? Operation Gladio was the thing that was hush-hush. It was something that wasn't even brought to the attention of American Congress. It was need to know. Yeah, it was like you know, don't ask, don't tell, right? Um, <laughs> and and because yeah, and because of this, um, again, they needed Wild Bill Donovan just because of his connections with uh, with one of the people. Um, let me double check on the name really quick. But it was uh, I I know what it was one of the Rockefellers, and then there was the nephew of um, J.P. Morgan, who he was actually really good friends with. That started off the initial i guess you could say like kickstarter for for gladio you know and i i wonder if that's a possible subject that we can look into now that you mentioned these names is uh a lot of these names that you mentioned i don't know if have you heard about the the possible coup to overthrow fdr i've heard it referenced before but i never really looked into it like just as a quick thing just a sorry for the quick aside like uh back at like when fdr like in his first term with uh, when he was proposing the New Deal and what we're seeing is like these radical socialist changes to like the American so, like political fabric, there was essentially like a businessman coup that was trying to get formed. 
and they they were trying to approach like certain political figures and certain military figures to see how how possible it was going to be and a lot of the names you mentioned are going to or were involved in that so I, they kind of had like a little bit of this stuff going on even in the states here like in the 30s as well oh yeah it's it's actually kind of frightening when you start seeing um the infighting and the the quick the quickness to necessarily like throw your own your own country and your own people under the bus for the mere sake of uh self-preservation oh yeah and uh it's like i mentioned before it's about that class interest right like class warfare is constant from the top it only gets labeled that and disparaged when it comes from the bottom mm-hmm. and i think that that's a little bit of why we're using this wrap-up opportunity to talk about these themes again of you know gladio with like the strategy of tension that was involved in gladio all these all these different operations they had they had motivations that were that were common because these were groups that didn't necessarily always have a lot of interests that were the same, but when it came down to a couple of things, the bedrock principles, they were the same, and they were willing to do just about anything, um, whether it was work with terrorist organizations, work with far-right neo-Nazi groups, like, it, it just, it didn't matter at a certain point, they were willing to do whatever, and we're gonna, I think, go into that more in Central and South America in the future as well. 100%. Yeah, and, and just back to Gladio now, sorry for the quick aside there. You're fine. But yeah, you were, you were talking about, you know, Dulles, Wild Bill, these guys, their connections to the Rockefellers. How do they, how do they tap into the American mafia? Like you mentioned a little bit about, about their connection to the Vatican, about their connection to the church. That's a little bit more understandable. Like, you know, that, that seems, even if it's kind of shady, it's above the board shady, you know, yeah. like you're, you're at least working with a little, somewhat can be argued a legitimate organization in the Catholic church. A lot of people obviously can make the opposite argument, which I would probably agree with in 99% of the cases, especially then. But uh, how do they get involved with the mob? Like, is that because of the Italian Catholic connection or was that something that the, having the American mob here was an opportunity they saw as well? Um, It was, it was kind of a mixture of both, right? So uh, the initial, um, introduction between U.S. intelligence and the mafia, um, at least from the research I was seeing, um, it mainly started with uh, Lucky Luciano. He was he was the one that um, obviously anybody who who's followed um, American crime through our American crime history, Lucky Luciano was part of the Genovese crime family, which was one of the five families, La Cosa Nostra. Um, he lucky Luciano had um, basically a stranglehold and con- complete control over uh, over the harbors um, out in New York and, and a few other places. And at this point in time in America, the United States was worried that there would be um, some sort of SS spy or some sort of uh, German or Nazi um, movement that would, attack new york new york's harbor because the majority of allied forces were being shipped out and sent from new york um well and didn't there turn out to be there they're like it was revealed like years later if i'm not mistaken that there actually was a a german group that ended up ashore and we caught them 
Um, there, there was a story that was about that. Now, the thing is, I'm not sure if that is having to do with the incident that I have here in my notes. Oh, no, it's probably not necessarily related to the incident, but like, it, 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 you're not just talking bullshit like that. That is actually something they were concerned about. You know what I mean? Like, that was a, a legitimate concern that ended up being true. Yeah. Unlike a lot of bullshit Gladio stuff. No, for sure. Um, and and there was a particular incident. I'm trying to look through for my notes uh, specifically, but there was an incident where, um, I believe it was the SS Luxembourg, or um, and I'll double check on that name, but the uh, basically some of some of the crews that were running the docks, um, they wanted to to show the United States intelligence uh, community that. Um, the only way they would ever be able to set agents into that yard or be able to have any sort of intelligence, United States intelligence presence, is by the okay of the United States Mafia. And the way that they did that, excuse me, was they basically sabotaged this boat that was harbored and made it to say, like, all right, you guys wouldn't let us be the ones that run security here at the dock and look what the fuck happened, right? Like you had your people doing it and they let that boat get set on fire. You have to let us do it. And that is basically the, the beginnings of the connection. Now the connection doesn't get solidified between the intelligence community and lucky Luciano up until you see, um, Luciano get busted for a very large amount of heroin, right? So there was this huge trade that was going on yeah. and he gets, he gets caught with all the heroin. And I believe it's either Bill Donovan himself or um, Alan Dallas steps in and says, no, you guys aren't fucking prosecuting him. He's an asset to the United States. Keep your fucking hands off. If you want to do anything, you're going to extradite him to Sicily, right? And this was at a point in time where American forces were getting ready to uh, begin. I believe it was Operation, let me double check on the name here, um, Operation Husky, which was the Allied invasion of Sicily. And this was something that United States military and intelligence forces were, were planning. And so they saw the connection between Luciano and his established connections over in Sicily. Um, they saw it as an opportunity for when they do go invade. So you see um, the extradi extradition or extradition rather um, of lucky Luciano over to Sicily, which wasn't even necessary because if you think about it, right? Like Sicily was under control of Mussolini and we were at war with them. Why necessarily were we, just saying like here, like take this guy when he was, you know, a mafioso and somebody that was supposed to be getting cracked down on, especially at that time. If you think about um, a lot of the uh, conservative or I guess you could say modern conservative rhetoric of anti-crime, anti-gang, um, anti-drug. Um, so it was very interesting to see that. And then the second in command from Luciano, I'm drawing a blank on the name and I'll double check on that later. Um he was eventually put in as a um, chief translator for the United States military over in Italy. And he was the main, the main person that connected um, 
United States uh, generals and uh, Don Carlo, who was basically the head of the Sicilian mafia at the time. And so, like everything else modern, it's high-end informants is what it comes down to, is that Luciano was a high-end mm-hmm. informant. That's exactly it. Okay. All That's right. exactly it. And so they put him in Sicily because they want some, they want some you know, underground information. They want to know probably what's going to be going on when, they, when they're coming to invade Europe and Italy. And uh, so they, they, they get that connection to Luciano. And then, like you said, they learn from Chiang Kai-shek, you can deal heroin on the side to fund your operations to fight the communists. And, and so what do you do? You get a guy who's a noted heroin dealer to deal heroin for you to fund your operations. It's not too hard to connect the dots. I'm not, I'm not mistaken. No, no, you're hundred percent right? correct. And, and like I said, um, so, it, yeah. and it was, it was one of those things, uh, lucky Luciano, he wasn't an idiot and he realized that he could exploit the fear of the United States government. And it was, Oh yeah. Informants are never, are never used beyond how they can use the other way yeah. around. Right. And I, I just wanted to make sure that was highlighted because, um, the I guess you could say like the official whitewashing of it, right? Like the American like history textbook take would be like, it, you know, we dealt with the necessary evil to stop a greater one. When it oh, and the the other way around, it'd be like, oh, he was such a patriot, he was even willing to help out his country, even though he was a monster. exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. It was the same thing after nine eleven, right? Like if you watched any Sopranos, like you see that narrative, like almost to a T or the wire as well. Like they talk about, yeah, we aren't even going after the mob anymore. Like we're going after, after, you know, Islamic terrorists now. And you have these mob guys who are like, yeah, well, we'll even inform the government if we see any suspicious brown people down at the docks. And it's like, no, you, you just, you'll beat them up like you always have you, you, you fucks. Okay. Yeah. And, but no, um. But like, but like yeah. I said, uh, so that was part of the the main influence. And then when you had somebody like Genovese, who was again Luciano's second in command, who became chief translator for U.S. intelligence, um, he had a connection with someone who was named uh, Monsignor Giovanni Mantini, who was uh, uh, Vatican Secretary of State, um, and he was influential on. Um, ensuring taking out different fascist leadership and different um, fascist prominent uh, banking leaders and things of that nature to help ensure uh, the smooth transition of the the money now being changed. Because that's the thing um, about corruption, right? Like corruption is, is on either side. Um, the only time that it ever gets disrupted is temporarily just to change the flow. Right. And that's, that's the only time that you ever seen. And that's, exactly what happened here and a quick question you may not have an answer for this either based on your research or just off your gut do do these guys have an ideology or is it strictly about the business about it's it's definitely ideology um well not fully ideology but the main reason that the united states was able to um connect with United States and Sicilian Mafia. Um, it wasn't just a case of like, hey, we'll be able to get you out of trouble because the the Mafia, they had enough power. They could fucking buy whoever they wanted to. They didn't have to worry about, you know. Yeah, it wasn't. 
They didn't yeah. need that. Um, yeah. So it was a lot more than that. Um, the the main thing was, um, and especially this was mainly true for the Sicilian mafia. Um, they fucking hated fascists. They hated them to a T. Um, fascism was something that they had to endure under Mussolini. Um, and Mussolini was known for for torturing um mafia members and anybody who was found out to have a connection with the mafia. I mean, some of the things that Mussolini did, uh, he would pour like boiling water on people's genitals until the point to where the skin would peel off. Like he was a very sick, um, nasty person. And just because of the way that a lot of these uh, mafia guys had gotten treated, the way they seen it, anything to get rid of the, uh, to get rid of fascism, it was open season on yeah. fascists. So yeah. the United States intelligence took um basically they, they took that into their into their uh their hand and, and definitely used that to I guess you could say rally the troops if you want to put in a real shitty um uh old school cliche. Okay, and, and to continue on that line, how does how does that ideology change then to get it to make it so that they're fighting the communists? Do do they see it as one and the same? Do they see it as oh, we're still supporting yeah, the same they, thing, or does it does it they, change? The, at all? Well, I mean, the the United States Intelligence Office does what it basically has, what, what it does now, which is it tries conflating um, socialism with uh, nationalist populism, and it did a and i say it being the intelligence community did a great job of making sure to muddy the water and give the presentation of uh saying hey i know you guys are fighting fascism but make sure you stay away from communism because that leads to exactly the same thing right like some guy telling you you have to give up okay. all your shit to somebody else type thing it's you know, like i said just what they do here in the states now yeah. Okay. No, that makes sense. I was just curious about how that jump would go to be like so against fascism to like turn the other way and end up like supporting like neo fascists. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. No, it, it it's trading one form of fascism for another. And um it's honestly I'm glad that you asked that because I think excuse me. It's a great highlight just to show how a lot of these extremist groups um get used. Uh, just because if if you if you look at what we had just said, right? Like these were these were mafiosos that had been tortured and persecuted and jailed um, by a fascist leader, and the answer in the fight against fascism, which is socialism and communism and all these other things, um they were able to be deterred from it just because of the propaganda and the, and the brainwashing that they had got. And I think um, that's something that we see now. Um, anytime in society that we see something that might be able to benefit people, uh, the quick and immediate response is like, no, that's not benefiting people. That's just somebody telling you how to live and somebody controlling your life. And they try to present it on a, uh, fascist or a dictatorial um uh presentation and that's just that's a as if your life isn't already controlled by capitalism exactly 100 percent. no and uh no I, I'm, I'm glad you were able to to enlighten me a little bit on that because that was something i was confused about but 
know, so you have the mob who, who is anti-fascist to begin with, eventually helping support neo-fascist groups. But I imagine that also shows how Gladio worked, is everybody didn't know everything. You might just know the people in your direct bubble, but you don't know who else they're working with, what else is going on. Not to excuse what they did or what anybody did, but I imagine sometimes you don't even know who you're necessarily helping, right? Oh, 100%. <laughs> I mean... Yeah, just, just based on, on what we saw as far as the connections, like they were they were small groups. They were cells for a reason. Like they didn't want them all to know each other. Well, and I mean, anybody anybody who has uh, any bit of street knowledge or anybody who's ever been a part of something, even as innocent as like planning a surprise party, okay? It's just like that. When you When you have something going on, the less people who know exactly what the end game is the less it can fuck up and the less it can be exposed down the line and that it was definitely one of those situations where it was it was important to make everyone feel as if they were doing their their mission goal right because to present it in this way the united states intelligence was in their mind Stopping fascism and stopping um, the growing uh, concern of uh, of Hitler, Hitler's invasion of the world. From the mafia's perspective, it was ending Mussolini's reign of terror and reestablishing their strength and their control over operations over in Sicily and and again here in the United States. Um. And from the different fascist groups, like you had um, uh, Bergesi, who was a um, Italian naval officer who had command of like a thousand rogue um, um, units. Um, you know, he was somebody who was standing up against Mussolini and was going to be leading the direct like people's rebellion, even though he didn't like socialism either. So it was just it was really interesting seeing how all of these different groups that were connected and working with each other thought that they were fighting for a different end goal. And it was just, it was really interesting seeing how it was all kind of orchestrated out that way. Oh, and now, and now the Italian mob, just like a lot of organized crime around the world supports the far right and both politically and like money wise, just like in Japan, just like in Russia, just like here. It's it's been a, uh, it's, it's strange to yeah, see. Yeah, no, but it's, you know, when, when you see that connect, when you see that now and you try to wonder, like, why the fuck are these people siding with them? You you look at something like Gladio and you're like, oh, because these motherfuckers have been established yeah. a connection since, like, the 30s. Like, it makes sense. Yeah. Absolutely. No, and uh, it's almost like a missing Godfather movie. Yeah. No, it. I guess Cuba got. Got that in a little bit in the second one, but it it wasn't totally connected. Well, and the Cuba thing is actually part of um, when they go down there. That's part of Gladio. That that right there is part yeah. of Gladio. There was um, literally like Luciano was one of those people that was down there. Okay, and yeah, basically the way that they had the the network set up is they had the Capsian Mafia that was known for having really good pilots and really good planes. So they would have, um, cause the Sicilian mafia, they weren't chemists, right. And they didn't know how the fuck to do anything. And they couldn't turn, um, Chinese grade opium into heroin. 
right? That was something that they weren't able to do. And that's when the United States intelligence community had come across the Corsican Mafia and they had established this um, trade network, I believe it was, um, let me double check on the name, but they established a, a trade network um, that went from Italy all the way up north and then it would go from north to on the plains and it would get shipped all the way down to uh, Cuba and then from Cuba it would get trans- transferred, distributed amongst the five families and then distributed amongst different major um, United States cities. And I'm actually glad that I'm going to this part because I think it's really important to highlight. When Gladio was first starting out, um, Wild Bill Donovan had to had one of the hardest jobs when it came to starting up Gladio. Um, people like Alan Dallas and um, Jesus Angleton, they had the easy thing. They just had to find the people, pick the names, and let them do the work, uh, micromanage. Um, while Bill, he had to he had to do a lot of the legwork, right? Like he was somebody that was I, I mentioned before. He was in the military. He was a chief intel analyst over for China. Um, he stepped down. Um, they they basically made, told him like, dude, you need to fucking resign so you can start doing this shit. Like we we got it ready to go. Um, so he steps down, he starts up the WCC, the World Commerce Corporation, and he sits down with uh, Angleton, Dallas, and a few other chief intel analysts, um, and they start trying to decide how the fuck are we going to generate this money, right? And that's when uh, Wild Bill says, okay, well, we're going to do the Chinese method, which you had mentioned, right, um, with bringing in the heroin and using that. <clears throat> and they decided then uh, it would be beneficial not just for the sake of Operation Gladio, but also for the sake of here interest here at home to make sure that they destroy the um, the jazz community and the uh, and the black community. They specifically wanted to target um, uh, poor and lower income uh, neighborhoods in major cities. That's why um, during the 40s, 50s, and 60s, um, you only saw uh, drug issues and, and crime issues in places like New Orleans, um, New York, D.C., Baltimore, um, a lot of these places where there was a lot of jazz influence because, funny enough, there's a few documents that the CIA, well, modern-day CIA at that time, the OSS, had published that was linking um, jazz and communism together. They were basically saying anybody that, that listens uh, to jazz will eventually support communism and become part of the godless state. <laughs> so, well, they're not they're not wrong. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, something like that, right? And uh, so they they wanted to infiltrate that, and that's why you saw you know um, uh, drug addiction strike people like Billy Holiday and, and and countless others. I mean, we could literally have a whole episode. Miles, Miles Davis. Davis, exactly. Um, we could have a whole episode about how the CIA infiltrated um, the jazz, uh, the jazz scene, and basically started using um, the music scene to generate their uh, their revenue. And it's actually a really. Well, I'm sorry. No, I was going to say they have the same playbook later on, right? Like the same thing happens after Vietnam with with heroin again, but then it moves on to to cocaine and then crack cocaine. Exactly. 
No, it's the the CIA playbook. It, it was used to destroy uh, Black Panthers. It was used to destroy the the Black Inner City over and over again. Yep. And I mean, it. Uh, you know, at that point in time, obviously, you had the civil rights movement. You had the Black Panther Party, so it was obviously um, targeted for for black communities. But let's not forget the um, the eye on the prize, which was. It wasn't just black people that were affected by this, though. It's low income uh, neighborhoods. Right. And it's not just comes yeah, back to class. Exactly. One hundred percent. And. That's that's where you that's where you see basically the the makings, the beginnings of the Gladio Network, because now you you create addicts, you have um, <laughs> you have guaranteed customers. You have a product that is um, straight cash. It's a straight cash business. Um, it, it, it was the perfect makings of building a secret army. I know. And we may want to possibly, I know we're bringing up a couple episodes at a time, but uh, we may just want to look at the history of heroin as far as it's concerned with state control and stuff like that. Because it goes back to uh, at least the British Empire with control over China and what's called the opium. Yeah, no, I remember that book, dude. I remember that book. Yeah. No, it's a really interesting subject. And and the title of it, I imagine it it tripped up your buddy James, but uh, he thought it was going to be a little bit more interesting. It was a little bit dry for his taste, but it's still a a fascinating subject to see how it's been used as control and especially seen as, as how you can, it's a great money source for whoever has control over it. And that continues to this day with our um, adventures in Afghanistan and elsewhere where we now see the opium trade um, blowing up. So, yeah, it's a lot of repeating the same kind of stuff. And uh, you, is there anything as far as how did they, I, I, we talked a little bit about bringing Gladio home possibly to the United States, kind of like way how we talked about Italy Um do they have anything specific as far as what they wanted to do in Italy beyond the mob in the Vatican? Or was that who they mainly saw it going through besides P2? Um, besides P2, yeah, the mafia was their main thing. Um, just because the if it, if you have a relationship with the mafia, you have a relation with every single facet that's over in Italy. Um, because at that point in time, I had mentioned yeah. before, Mussolini did a good job of breaking up the mafia and destroying their their stranglehold on on Sicily. However, they still had control, and it was one of those things that because they hadn't been per- like fully destroyed, um, they were able to build together and kind of gain strength in numbers again. So the United States saw that. If you want to control Italy, you got to control the mob. That's that's basically what it yeah. comes down to. There's no even even if you get rid of Mussolini and um, you try to you try to send somebody that's uh, Western backed, it's it's not going to work because the mafia is not going to like them. They they want one of their own in. So deal with the monster, you know, because um, ultimately you know you know what their end game is. You know what they want. Uh and, and we talked about the years of lead. They were obviously involved the whole time during all of that. You can refer to the last episode to get more detail on, on that specifically. But how did it end for those connections? Like we talked about Gladio getting exposed in 1990. How did it, did it continue 
in a different way or was it kind of just they went their separate ways? Um, well, they went their separate ways kind of in the same way that you see a lot of uh, mobster movies end. So um, just to backtrack for a quick second, I just wanted to add, I think yeah, go ahead. Um, another important connection that was used to generate money, at least on the it's, on the Italy side, to go a little bit more into your question, there was an Italian pharmaceutical giant known as Cibarelli. And this was big, pharma. yeah, big pharma. <laughs> and this was that. the company that was used to um, basically help manufacture and perfect uh, their black market heroin trade. Because I had mentioned before, the Corsican mafia was added into the mix for this Gladio network to ensure that uh, the Chinese opium that they were bringing over could be, in fact, uh, transferred over to heroin. No, and that makes sense because there was entire German, uh, Germany had big pharmaceutical companies, whether it was Pfizer or a lot of the other ones that I can't name because Pfizer is always the big one that sticks out. But like they were heavily involved in the morphine and synthetic morphine and synthetic heroin trade. Yes. And a lot of the Nazis made their money off of that. Like uh, a lot of the big officials were involved in, in pharmaceutical and that was, they were also pumping uh, speed into all the soldiers too. Oh yeah. I mean, shit, dude, they were pumping speed. There was uh, the infamous German chocolate bar that had fucking amphetamine in it. Um, there was another German chocolate bar that had like cocaine in it, like medical grade cocaine. Uh, yeah. The, uh, the, the Nazis definitely experimented with a lot of it. And you see, I'm, I'm glad that you had brought that up because you definitely see the correlations between the two. Um, yeah, sorry. I, I just wanted to make sure to go back and bring that in because that's something that I feel like it's overlooked like a lot. Oh, absolutely. And there's, and, and the, the thing that kind of pissed me off, right? Because there, everybody knows about Operation Paperclip. We had brought it up before. Um, Mm -hmm. specifically tied in when it comes to the Corsican Mafia, um, Turkey, um, the pharmaceutical company, Cipirelli, that I had mentioned before. Uh, it was specifically all tied into this thing known as Operation Paper. Just Operation Paper, not Paperclip. And because Paperclip is such a dominant okay. thing, it is next to near impossible to be able to get to find anything just on paper. on paper and also just because yeah. of the fact of what yeah. it's tied into because it's not just it's not just low-level criminals that are named on this you have people um not necessarily this name but just to give you an idea like like a madeline albright like these are the kind of people that are named uh in the community oh yeah that shit gets scrubbed 100 yeah, percent like anything on the Clintons, anything on anybody connected to them gets scrubbed like almost immediately. And just because I mentioned it now, this episode will probably be impossible to find. Most likely. Yeah, sorry about no, that. It's dude. all right. It's all right. We still got people that they're dedicated. But, uh, Unless the Clintons take them. But no, we do see. No, Go I ahead, said we still have people that are dedicated unless the Clintons take them out. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Knock fingers crossed. But, uh,. <clears throat> Okay, so they kind of go their own ways, but then you have 9-11, which brings the state and organized crime together, and that kind of informs our, our current day a little bit. But um, is there anything else that maybe I glanced over that you wanted to make sure that we talked about, or do you think we, we covered the, the finance and, and the with the mob and Catholic Church connection, or do you think the church maybe is a little bit 
more you wanted to say. Um, a couple other things that I just wanted to make sure to add, uh, especially when it comes into the money thing. I'll just I, I just want to do like a quick recap because the subject yeah. had me like super excited, and I was like fucking. Like that scene in uh, what is it in uh, Tommy Boy Jojo the Indian Circus Boy with his new pet? Like that's how I felt. And um, yeah. just to recap it, you have uh, Alan Dallas, Jesus Angleton, and uh, Wild Bill Donovan. Uh, they all form together, and they decide that there needs to be a complete private bankroll for a private army. They get together with people like Gian and Wolf, who are um, SS operatives and like Hitler's uh, right-hand man, I guess you could say, when it came to the Eastern Front. They start establishing connections between different SS officers as well as different uh, rogue uh, Italian factions. Um, While Bill eventually breaks off and is asked to step down, um, from his role in the military and start the World Commerce Corporation, as I had mentioned. He gets together with people like I had mentioned, uh, uh, Norman Rockefeller, um, J.P. Morgan's nephew, as, a few, as well as a few others. And they start um, specifically pumping in drugs into uh, communities that are influenced by um, uh, African-American culture specifically just because it would be easy to pass the drugs off on them, especially at that point in time. Uh, because even, even though uh, the lower class has always got the shit end of the stick, public eye at that point in time, poor white people were still, still considered people at some point. Um, uh-huh. So it was a lot harder to pass on um, being able to just let like white people uh, shove heroin into their arms and, and let it be on the news. It was something that, that, that couldn't happen. And eventually after all this money generated, you have uh wild bill who uses his connections with um, Ivy leaguers and wall street and um, Italian aristocrats to uh, start making connections with people like, um, I had mentioned the shark, uh, Michelle Sendona, and they basically uh, start like a hush-hush organ- operation within the Vatican Bank that is okayed and approved by Pope Paul VI. And you now basically have the blueprint that has been utilized, as Stephen mentioned, by the CIA ever since. Um, the Vietnam War being one of them um, during the 80s. Uh, with uh, you know things like Contra and um, yeah, that's that's kind of like my wrap up, I guess you could say. Yeah, so it does somewhat lead us up to the modern day, and that's kind of where we wanted to wrap up with Gladio is is kind of framing how does it shape the world view that we ha- the view of the world that we live in now, and how how do you think this kind of this trip this overall view has kind of uh, framed the way you see the world right now, Hirsch. Um, how, how has it framed the way I see the world? Um, shit. I mean, how is it? Sorry, that's a big question. I should, I should rephrase that. How does the research we've done over the last, you know, couple months here, how is it added to, to your perspective of, of how you view the state and how it operates? Um, for me personally, it kind of, 
confirmed my suspicions. Um, it it filled in a lot of blanks that I had personally, just because, um, you know, just because of you, I've always had an interest in history. It's something I've always been fascinated by, and um, it really made me realize just uh, naive how naive I was to uh, the our, our favorite word here, intersectionality of everything. Um, for a long time, I had the sound belief that everything was separate, right? Like shit just kind of like ran on its own wheel and that there wasn't necessarily a thing as organized chaos. Like in my mind before, chaos was just chaos and it was just a bunch of fucking people thinking that they're Joker, not really having any end game besides just causing havoc. Um, but there is, there is an end game. And this, the research from this definitely opened my eyes up to it and helps um, reinforce that intersectionality. Like I was saying. No, absolutely. And one of the thing, reasons I brought that up is I think you do see that the transatlantic Alliance it's still active. It's still going on. NATO is still an organization that exists for some fucking reason. Um, there's never, there never was a communist invasion. Um, there's a lot of proxy wars, but it never went down the way it was supposed to in their vision for why they were operating the way they were. And so you see that the transatlantic alliance was and is willing to do just about anything to keep the neoliberal establishment propped up and in control. You have Joe Biden, who basically represents the status quo of that, right? Like, uh, I believe there's even been talk about certain NATO alliances being, you know, reestablished. And because and, Trump, fucking Trump, if he did say one of the few things he got right is he called NATO out. Yeah. He saw NATO as a bullshit organization that was there to, to basically ste- step up like this alliance that existed for the cold war and really shouldn't have existed even in the cold war. 100%. No, that's, and, uh, and that's the thing, dude, like if you remove like all the xenophobic and like homophobic and transphobic and um, <laughs> like I could go on, but like you remove all that shit from like Trump's rhetoric. Right. Um, A lot of the shit he says, he called shit yeah, out a lot. A lot of the say time. he said that pissed people off was was true, and that's one thing that I always had admitted, and I will admit. Um, he calls shit out. Um, you know, right now, for example, is one of the best moments to highlight. Like, you just had a president Biden who um, illegally uh, uh, bombed um, uh, Syrian uh, Syrian encampment, Syrian soldiers, to try to instigate a war. In supposed retaliation for uh, involvement where we should being, even be being in involved place. in the first place, dude. And nobody's saying shit on the left because it's Biden because he didn't tweet about it and he didn't say something crazy. Well, the, the left is the liberals are excusing it. The liberals are saying, you know, like, well, Biden at least doesn't tweet about it so the president can do what he wants. And it's like, no, that wasn't the fucking point, man. Yeah. Com- like, you completely missed the point of it, man. Yeah. You completely missed. They went to brunch. They just don't give a fuck. 
one hundred percent. I mean, they're 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 they are there to obstruct. Like that's the thing, man. Like when I say neoliberal establishment, it's not like all these people don't have to be liberal. You have guys like you know Wild Bill and other guys who would probably you know considered nowadays conservative or even back then should have been considered conservative to far right. Like they they want the the moneyed class interest establishment to continue, and then that involves this transatlantic alliance that we saw Operation Gladio bring the worst uh to the front and it's not all tin foil hat stuff like we we were able to see you know that's the thing i think that opened it up for me is when i heard about this i was like you know i've heard that reference like i talked about the archer reference you know where it's just a a kind of a throwaway line in a in a joke about an italian prime minister that archer's mom is involved with but i was really fascinated to see that you know it's very established it's only the tip of the iceberg, really, that's known. I think we showed that with the Brabant killings. That, you know, there's a lot more going on to this kind of operation than even is probably known or ever will be admitted. Mm-hmm. And I think you also see, like, when people talk about today about white infiltration and supre- white supremacist infiltration of uh, far-right infiltration of police forces and military forces, like... Don't ever tell me it's bullshit because you can look at American police forces and know that for sure. But you can also look at Operation Gladio because that's exactly what we saw happen yeah. too. Well, I mean, there was there was a uh, God. I'd, I'd have to go through the notes, but uh, Carano or Carnano or something like that. But he was a uh, he was like a police officer that was not only like a bagman for the Italian mafia, but he was also like a I guess you could say like a sleeper cell for the OSS. And he was like some major, he was like a police chief or um, some sort of like desk uh, pencil pusher, like high up uh, for, for the police force. So like you had said, it's uh, these infiltrations into um, the groups like the police are, are definitely prominent. And, and I think that kind of provides us a pivot point, too, where we can kind of say, you know, we wrapped up Gladio, but I think our, our overall point is that you can't ever leave Gladio. Gladio is always going to be overarching. It's always going to inform. It's always going to give you a little bit of a perspective or understanding. And I think as we move on to Central and South America as a possibility in the future, that we'll see a, a version of Gladio where you have the far right Contra drug movement like a uh, drug trade, excuse me, used uh, to funnel money into movements that will be anti-communist and, and keep them from holding power in Central and South America in these p- other proxy wars beyond just the Vietnam War, which is probably the, the biggest uh, known proxy war between the Soviet Union and the United States where, yeah, the Vietnamese may have eventually had disrupted ties between China and the Soviet Union, but America always saw that as a proxy war of stopping communism. One hundred percent. No, and yeah, and uh, and and one thing ahead. that you know, talking about all this is made me think about like when it comes to when it comes to Gladio, right? Like the the furious communism, and uh, you know, the the author for for a lot of the research I had done, he had compared uh, to modern day ISIS or ISIL, if you will. It's it. 
the thing that I worry about is because I see Gladio and I see that it failed in a lot of ways because even with all the propaganda and the complete control, because you have stuff like Operation Mockingbird and everything like that, um, you see the control, but the the media, um, the media manipulation wasn't successful, right? Like general public was still. On, on average, right, like, okay, yeah, communism's bad, but, like, we don't need to drop another fucking nuclear bomb, right? Like, that's the last thing that we need to do. Um, as to where now... See, that's where I, I would... That's where I'd offer a little bit of pushback. I, I, I kind of get the feeling that... this. Okay, this is a good way to wrap it up. Cool. All right. I feel that Operation Gladio was successful overall. I think that that propaganda did was effective. I think if you look at the years of lead in Italy, or if you look at other stuff like Brabant, like the populace was terrified. And I don't think they ever did put it together that maybe it wasn't the left that they should be scared of. Cause I, I, I don't know about you, but I remember growing up being fed a lot of propaganda that, that communism was the end all be all evil that you had to be worried about, you know, the evil empire. And, and so I do think that the media did, did feed that. And I, I think if you ask most people, they wouldn't even be able to tell you what Gladio was. And I think that's a note to their success, actually. Mm-hmm. If that makes any no, sense. No, I, I get that. But my rebuttal, my like, rebuttal to that, though, because I, I hear what you're saying, but this is my viewpoint, right? Like, the whole point of Gladio wasn't I th- I think the the concept of like Gladio was to quote stop communism is part of like the guys. I think that's part of the game, right? It it was it's never about stopping. Oh yeah, the game changes. Well, but but the thing is, the game it's never about stopping the other thing. The the game is to get to where you want to fucking be, which is top dog. You want to be the one in control, and I think the reason I say that. Um, at least Gladio at that point point in time was a failure is because you had the perfect moment from the standpoint of uh, U.S. intelligence. You had the perfect moment to step in and take complete global control. You had instability in Europe. You had instability. Didn't they, though? They didn't, though. Like in in some in some but, facets in some facets I will agree with you they did, but my, my I would say that 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 neoliberal order like like took control completely like once you had the fall of communism with the Berlin Wall and then the fall of uh, the Soviet Union, I, I think you do see that those guys did unfortunately come out on top, and that they they do end up the guys who get to retire at the top. I think now that can be argued differently. I think I think now you're right. I think Gladio in the long run has turned against them and it's become something that people can understand and use against them. And, and people like Putin can be even more cynical and kind of use their game against them in a way. Like, I don't mean to buy into Russiagate bullshit, but like Putin's one of those guys who understands a lot of this manipulation kind of stuff. But uh, but I think you are right in the in the effect that they didn't win in the long run but I think in the, before a lot of these dudes died, they did win. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, maybe so. If we if we can meet in the middle, a little no, bit no, there. we can definitely meet there. Um, I, I, I just this you is don't what have I to. Say. Dude, I'm this, just fucking. This, I'm just, this is what I'm, I say. I'm just joking around. This is what I say. Like I think of, I think of the precipice of Gladio. Um, 
Ronald Reagan. Okay. He has an infamous speech where he's talking about the new world order. And that's like where all the tinfoilers come out. Right. And they start talking about, you know, 1984, blah, blah, blah. Now, my, the, the way I see it, after, after reviewing Gladio and looking at the way everything was set up, everything was orchestrated, I feel like Gladio was, Gladio was, in the eyes of the U.S. intelligence, the army of the New World Order. This was the enforcer. This was the legion to carry out the wants and needs of the the financial and higher class elite. And again, the reason why I say at least at back in the past why it was a failure, maybe not a complete failure, right? Like maybe you're right. Um, they were successful in a lot of venture. However, um, they they weren't able to assert that complete whole dominance when, like I had mentioned before, the world was completely, the entire global community was completely vulnerable. And one of the only few countries that was able to, to pull out and to stay head above water was the U S. And that's why from my standpoint, at least from the United States, Gladio was a failure just overall. It doesn't matter past or present because it was there. One of the few opportunities that you'll ever get as a nation where you have multiple superpowers who were weak and willing to compromise. I think uh, last point I'll make, and then we can kind of do a little bit of a wrap up here to, to the episode. I do think that, you know, you brought up Reagan and his reference to the New World Order kind of as a, a stopping point to what you think of Gladio. I, I would put the counter argument that that's doublespeak if you want to bring up Orwell. Like, that's him saying that he's against the very thing he represents. Like, Reagan was a part of that, of that order, of that, of that establishment of making sure that the Cold War went the United States way. And I think it in every way, it went the way the United States wanted, whether it was <clears throat> Europe not being the power that it was anymore, because it was never about Europe staying dominant. It was about the United States being the the sole superpower. It was about the end of history mm-hmm. and, and the United States being the one group that could be out there that would be able to call those different shots. And that's what it became. You saw in the Clinton presidency, the what Dick Cheney always envisioned as the, the imperial executive, that you had... Uh, war powers, you had weaponry, you had technology, you had uh, an an army, a navy, everything else that you needed to do what the United States wanted, along with an intelligence service that was almost second to none at the time. Um, So I do think they were successful in that initial, that initial run. And where I do think that you, you especially see it is in the economic sphere. It did take over. You, you see the, the richest 1%, their, their growth, especially in the last, what, 30 years has been astronomical compared to, to everybody else. And so I, I do think Gladio was a lot more successful than we might want to give it credit, even if it might have been dirty and gotten its hands messy. I think it was successful in the long run, but I think the existence of Gladio 
um, can be used as a weapon against the idea that the idea that Gladio presents that that there is a strategy of tension they can tap into, where other people can play that game too, and I, I think that's where they do end up losing in the long run is they aren't the only ones who are capable of that. Mm. Okay, no, I, I... but it's cool that it's cool that we have an argument because I think that's where we can ask some people to weigh in. And and maybe let us know what you think of Gladio in the long run, how it how it maybe changed the perspective that you have, or or how you view it in light of current events, and maybe if you think Gladio wasn't successful, or if you think it was, like I I, I think that's an argument that can be had. I don't think there's any true answer. No, hundred percent. No, it, it, it's definitely all relative and, for sure. No, it's not only all relative, but it's a, it's a matter of opinion, like. You, the causality is a very tricky thing. Like you, you can't really say that this one thing caused everything else. Like, and, and be absolutely certain of that. And and I, by no means, am a trained historian enough to to put my argument on the line saying this is how it is. And I would never say that anyway. Fuck that dude. But I, I think <laughs> we need a, we need a clickbait title. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, but I I think that's a a good place to to kind of wrap Gladio up is, is, is an idea of that kind of to linger and to kind of think about and about how effective it was or about how it, how it was used. And did you want to add anything else before uh, we, we move on to the future? Um, yeah. The, the one thing I wanted to add, um, we brought up um, the right and their involvement in a lot of this and a lot of prominent uh, conservative names pop up. But I just want to highlight, and I think it's very important, especially with a, uh, and I'll present it in a modern way here shortly, but let's not forget there was a lot of, quote, leftists that um, supported and enabled a lot of uh, of Gladio's uh, wrongdoings and a lot of its dirty work. And um, I think it's important to remember that when we do hear things like far right or um, fascist movements, though they're often and mostly associated with with uh, right right wing rhetoric or um, conservative rhetoric, um, there's often a lot of uh, like I said, quote leftists or you know as we refer to them, neoliberals uh, that are in that group too. And just have the guys and um, maybe a little bit of a more pretty image, you know. So I just I wanted to add that in because that's one thing I kept thinking about. No, lib- no absolutely. Liberals are always going to be on the side of the fascist when it comes down to it. Unfortunately, yep. That's what we see repeated in history over and over again. They may they may talk about left ideals in some ways especially the identity politics part of it, they'll never really truly talk about the economic part of it or the military and anti-imperialism uh, part of it because that's where they get their money from. Exactly. But uh, they, unfortunately, it's, it's always been shown that the center and sometimes the center left will always choose the side that ends up coming down with the, with the boot. And uh, we hope to, to not repeat that. It's part of why we bring up these kind of things. We want to make sure that people are, are aware of it and are able to, to look into their own stuff and, and 
find out this information more in more in depth if you want to or or to think about more along the way. But yeah, Operation Gladio, dude, it was a trip. Yeah. What a long what a long strange trip it's been. Literally. Yeah. But uh but no, I, I thought it was a lot of fun. I, I from you know starting off with Brabant, it was just this thing I heard about in a Chapo stream and it, it was something that the more I looked into and the more I talked about with you, like it seemed like something that was gonna be fun and interesting and horrible and cool and terrible all at the same time. Yeah. Well. Also, shout out Chapel's Trap House. Yeah, absolutely. One day, and one day, one day way, Steve like, will be on there, and it's gonna be awesome. Oh, dude, that would be that would be bad. Yeah. Uh, no, I'd get torn apart. But um, no, that would be that would be fantastic. Those guys definitely know what they're they're doing. And I also was gonna bring up another podcast, uh, Tides of History, by Patrick Wyman. He's a uh, Historian does a really great history podcast, more in depth, more professional, more polished than anything I could ever pretend to to put together. But uh, he looks at at history, starting with the podcast parts that I'm in with like the early Middle Ages, going up into the early modern period, and then also getting into like early like origins of humans, and then like I think now he's up into like ancient Egypt and that kind of stuff. So he's got some really fun stuff, really cool interviews. Podcast is free. It has commercials, but you can always skip through them if you want to. But yeah, Tides of History, great history podcast if you're ever looking for things um, more in-depth, more polished a little bit. He does a really great job with storytelling. He also brings on authors who do a really good job with uh, different subjects, whether it's like the Crusades or about like uh, uh, brewing and how women were involved in like beer brewing and stuff like that in England and stuff. It's pretty cool. Huh. I'll have to check that out. Tides of History. Yeah, it's a really, it's really great. Uh, he's also a pretty cool tw- uh, Twitter follow. Um, he has a newsletter that I catch up on, like about his podcast. So he goes a little bit more in depth on the subject in his in his newsletter and stuff like that. He also used to be like an MMA writer, and like that was what he did before he became like a like the podcast host and stuff like that. So he's got like uh, he's got like a cool perspective on a lot of stuff. Huh. I'll make sure to check that out for sure. Yeah. yeah, that's a recommendation I want to make sure I passed on. Oh yeah. Um uh before we wrap it up, um one thing I had an idea for, Steve, just because I know you are a very well read individual. Oh, I used to be. Yeah. Well, dude, you've you've read <laughs> enough books for two fucking lifetimes, my friend. Um so what I was what I was thinking about, uh just it doesn't even necessarily have to be um, Gladio related. Um, but I, again, I know you're an astute history lover and, and uh, absorber. So here in the near future, um, if you want to end an episode with like a good book recommendation for people to check into something that they can do to kill time okay. in, in, in the meanwhile, um, just because not only would it help other people, but like maybe there's something that you read that I can't remember or didn't think of, and you know I can check it out too. Yeah, I can start off with one. If uh, if anybody wants to find out a little bit more context about the first episode that we did, Bacon's Rebellion, way back when we recorded that bad boy, um, there's a really cool book. I think it was by Kathleen Kathleen Brown. It's called Good Wives 
inches patriarchs and nasty wenches hmm and it's about basically what we talked about going on in, in colonial virginia and part of the other colonies where it's about class race and gender and about how those it ends with bacon's rebellion and about how the colonial order basically ends with this agreement between people to to put uh class above uh certain people to put class above these things and then basically to bring race along with that and to put white white males at the top of the hierarchy and then the rest of the hierarchy gets established over time as well but it's all about how language and this change of language shows how these ideas change over time where you it starts off with indentured servants and and slaves working side by side and wench was a very um class-based term wench meant like a poor woman and over time at least in this time and place it be over time it became to mean a black slave woman it became a very specific term and so it, it's one of the examples she uses to show how the colonial virginia changed over time and how class race and gender were involved in that change nice yeah well see that's something i'm definitely gonna have to go check i'm gonna look on audible and see if i can find it there if not library here it might be it might be around the house or in the garage i i had that book somewhere all right i'll go check if it might be in one of those boxes if you can't find it i'll look yeah, for it no no worries um but yeah i appreciate it and um to everybody who's still listening thank you um we were able to pull this episode under two hours, which is awesome. Uh, make it a little bit easier for some of you guys. Um, next episode, Danny, if you're listening, bud, um, we're going to be talking about China. And you're already going to be messaged by me by the time that you hear this, most likely. Um, but we are going to be talking about China and a specific era, just because there's so much to talk about when it comes to China. It's a uh, Oh, yeah. And and we don't want to give like a broad overview because not only would that be really boring and not make any sense, but we'd probably do it terribly. Anyway. Yeah. So um, we're going to get into that. We're going to do an episode or two of that for from a boy Tang, And then um, we're going to jump back. Into- and you got a little sneak preview with the Opium Wars mention about in Shanghai Shek. So we had a little bit yeah. of a preview. Too, yeah, right? just a little bit of a preview. Yeah. We got to talk about China. Um, China. China. But yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. And then after after we break down China a little bit, we are going to jump back onto kind of uh, the Gladio vibe, I guess you could say. But we're going to go back and we're going to be talking about Central and South America, um, its role in the drug war, and how it is just another prime example of classism, xenophobia, and the neoliberal and far-right way of trying to oppress anyone who is deemed below them um on behalf of Stu yeah. and myself thank you guys for listening uh steve is there anything that you wanted to say before we uh take- no just thank you as always and i'm looking forward to our future subjects i think the the gladio stuff was really fun and it's only going to go from go uh in a similar direction from here but i think it'll be interesting to cover hell yeah dude all right thank you for your time Stu. i know you're a busy man um, thank you to everybody again oh, same to you for listening. Um, I do want to give a quick plug. Uh, I have a new episode up with my boy PS2. Uh, he has a podcast that he does on his YouTube channel, PS2 Fat Boy on YouTube. 
check them out on uh, check them out on there. Um, two fans chat. Most recent episode, we talked to uh, somebody named Salsa who had made the transition from Twitch to YouTube. And before that, we talked about The Sopranos, um, talked about some horror movies and video games, all sorts of shit. So if that's something you're into, check us out. And uh, yeah, I think that's about it. So 